So I was thinking, how do you become more engaged? That's exactly what I cover with my guest, Brenda Wynn, a former young involved Philadelphia board member and current manager of retail and economic development for the Center City District of Philadelphia. We talk about how she got involved upon returning to Philadelphia, how she tries to strike a balance in life and work and civic engagement, and her thoughts on how one should never be afraid to use their platform. We end by discussing how Brenda lives her best life. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, hey Brenda, how's, how's everything going today with you? Things are going pretty well. I actually just recently started a new job during the pandemic, so that's been pretty exciting. I've been using the past year or so, just being a little bit more still than usual, which has been really, really centering for me, especially since I feel like usually I'm always kind of running from one thing to the next. And I, I think this past year has really kind of forced me next from in like an external way to really kind of just sit down and like relax and reevaluate, I think, everything that I've been working on and doing. So, no, yeah, we're all pretty, pretty good. But I mean, unfortunate circumstances, I think, that are happening. But I think in the meantime, I'm I'm doing pretty well. I think a lot of people could say the same where they're kind of just like, hey, I have all this time to not go anywhere and focus on a bunch of different things that I normally wouldn't just with everything going on and, and the pandemic and being inside and, and whatnot. So um, yeah. And actually, for, for those who are listening who might not be familiar, let's take a step back because I'm familiar with your new job and congrats again. But for those who are listening who might not know who you are, can you give a little intro, tell them about yourself, what you do uh, in your new role and previous roles even, and what's your story really? Yeah, so I just recently started with Center City District as their manager of retail and economic development. So in this role, you know, one of my biggest responsibilities is trying to attract a lot of new businesses and retailers and companies to Center City and, you know, to general Philadelphia or so. So for example, if we have a vacant space that's downtown, which we have, you know, a few. So I would reach out, maybe this business that some we heard of sounds great. So I'll reach out to them and say, hey, you know, these are our demographics. This is all the information. This is why Philly is just such a great market to kind of get into. You know, you should come to Philly. Like, how can we make that happen, basically? So I think what's interesting is a lot of times we're walking downtown or in our neighborhoods, we don't really realize you know, all the kind of behind the scenes work that's in taking place. So that's one of my roles. But with COVID currently, that's going on. I'm really focused right now on retention. So really trying to help support the restaurants, small businesses that are downtown that, you know, really make our streets vibrant, figuring out how to sustain them, make sure they survive through the winter. And Hopefully by the end of winter, we can kind of start recruiting more businesses to come to Philly. Wow, that's that's really cool work. I think it's really hard work, especially, you know, we just got the announcements about the vaccine. But even then, you know, we're so far off from that really having, at least in my mind, you know, we're still a ways to go before that has a real impact here, at least in Philadelphia. And so um, that that's a lot of work for you guys to, to say, hey, we have to not only save businesses in some senses, help save businesses, but also we have to show that Philadelphia is still a vibrant place and still a really cool place to start a business or to bring your business from somewhere else. I know that's a conversation that at least I've been seeing on, on Twitter and, 
and playing out, you know, in the startup culture where you have cities like Austin, you had the, I think it was the mayor of, of Miami who's vying for these businesses from out West and, and other, you know, cities to, to come to their city. So I'm, I'm sure there's probably conversations uh, that I'm not privy to happening. You know, Mayor Kenny, you know, is on the phone and calling up businesses left and right, getting them to, to kind of come to Philadelphia. Yeah. But that's still such a really integral part in terms of how we get back and, and how kind of Philadelphia as a city moves forward. Definitely. I, I think, you know, I'm born and raised in Philadelphia. And, you know, every time I go away or like travel abroad or study or, you know, live in another city, I always kind of come back to Philadelphia. And there's just something about, I think, Philly that really, I really resonate a lot with. And I, you know, for me, I really want other people to kind of see Philly in the way that I see Philly. And a lot of people who love Philly see Philly. So that's kind of really, I think that if anything, that's kind of the overarching crux of what I do and the way of attracting business and, you know, other people our age and older and younger and everything to make Philly somewhere they want to be. That's, uh, it, it's interesting you talk about kind of, you know, when you leave Philly and you come back, because I feel the same way uh, in terms of not only coming back for school, but also just staying here and, and being here. I love Philadelphia. In my personal opinion, and I'll, you know, might be a hot take. Sorry, guys, I'm gonna say it. I personally think Philadelphia is one of the greatest cities, if not the greatest city in the world. And you know, that's saying something. I've traveled to a bunch of different places, been privileged enough to do so. But you know, just something about Philly is just so unique and, and just special. But you know, I wanted to to go off of that because you said you know going uh, other places. I, if I'm Correct. I think you were up in New York at one point in time. So for you, when you got back, it seems like you, you know, you kind of came back, you hit the ground running with a bunch of different projects. I know there's some freelance work in there, some real estate. So what for you was, was the one kind of involvement that you would say that you've had since coming back that's made the biggest impact on people's lives? Okay. Um, yeah, so I did live in New York and Brooklyn for a little while right after college. I didn't, I wasn't there very long until I actually ended up moving back to Philly. I actually wasn't even sure if I wanted to kind of be back in Philly, but I think once I got back, even kind of with a short-term thought in mind, you know, something when I was here just felt right. So I know when I just got back to Philly, where, you know, I grew up here, so I already had kind of like a network, but a lot of the network were kind of like my high school and my grade school friends and you know, after being at college, which you know, I also went to Penn, that's how we met. And, you know, I've really been in Philly for most of my life. But a lot of times when I got back, you know, our college friends are, are in all different places. So as I'm back in Philly, I'm like, all right, well, you know, everyone's kind of not as much in Philly right now. I still have my high school friends, but like, I just felt like it was just a blank slate again for me. I didn't really know Philly as someone who, you know, as someone who was over the age of 21, basically, I knew, I knew Philly as someone who grew up and went to grade school and high school. It was kind of like a new territory, even though it's the same city. So I was like, all right, well, I'm starting my career. Like, I really want to kind of join something to meet other people, you know, other young professionals, just like myself. So then I went on Google, and I was like, young professional groups in Philadelphia. And I kind of just looked through everything. And one that really stuck out to me just by their mission was young involved Philadelphia. So they're they're a very civically engaged and kind of socially aligned mission where, you know, at the end of the day, the goal of the nonprofit group was to increase civic engagement among young Philadelphians in Philly. And I'm like, 
wow, that sounds awesome. Like that's something that I feel really, really passionate and resonated with me in ways that I probably didn't even fully understand just yet. So you know, I tend- attended a few of their events and I met some of their current board members who were incredibly welcoming and open. And then I started getting involved. And then the following year, I think that was when I, you know, I took it more seriously and I actually applied to be on the board of YIP. I think one of their board members had mentioned that you know, that should be something I had considered. And that was prior to that. I never really thought of being on the board of a nonprofit. Like, I don't think that was a concept to me outside of like school. So I applied and I think, you know, that was kind of, I felt very passionate. It was kind of almost like my passion project, so to say. But in terms of, you know, like with your question, like, what do you think I, what do you think like I did that impacted people the most? You know, I think at the end of the day, no matter what organization you're with, whether it's at work or a nonprofit, I think just your personal interactions with the people that are around you, right? Whether you're on board, your friends, your colleagues or so, you know, being able to have the kind of one-on-one conversations with them and being a kind of reflective and positive, almost mirror to them and being able to really actively communicate positive traits and things that you see within that other person I think if anything is probably what I found to be the most kind of influential in terms of like having an impact you know sometimes I think a lot of times we always think oh in order to have an impact we have to think of this like grand scheme and create this grand business to really make an impact on people but no I think at the end of the day, it really comes to the one-on-one interactions with people and your conversations and your dialogue and everything that I think that's really is where the magic happens. And then being able to have more people, you know, yeah, you can obviously build up from there. But I think my, the most impactful thing is just one-on-one conversations with different people and being kind of a, a positive reflective mirror to them. That's really interesting. Kind of, you, you know, because I, I feel like anyone who thinks about, you know, being civically engaged and, and civically involved, you know, always think about these grand gestures and, and grand movements and grand efforts of, of these big, you know, city or public altering activities. And, and so it's really interesting to hear you say, no, it's, it's really just about, you know, the one-to-one conversations, the smaller conversations, uh, the ones that happen, not necessarily behind closed doors, but in smaller group setting, kind of being, like you said, that, that mirror uh, to their ambition into their aspirations. Uh, so that's a really cool way of putting it. You know, I know you're also uh, involved with a, a couple other different groups from Philadelphia Youth Congress, you know, in, in terms of even your work before working with the Center City District, you know, you, you've worked in commercial real estate. So kind of helping from that perspective of, you know, we're, we're you know, looking for sustainable businesses that, that we're looking to really grow in Philadelphia and not just kind of take and, and move on. Uh, so, you know, it, it's really cool to see that in, in terms of your mindset, because, you know, I, I will say like, I'm not necessarily the most civically involved, but at least, you know, when I look at kind of my involvement with certain young professional groups here in the city, you know, it's very similar in terms of starting small, having those one-on-one conversations and hoping that grows into something bigger. Moving on from that though, as someone who's not civically involved, you know, what advice would you say for someone who's out there who, given the fact that you are uh, kind of an up and coming leader in the space, what advice would you have for someone who's looking to get involved and not really sure where 
they want to start, not really sure uh, what they want to get involved in. I would love to hear your, your kind of answer there. So I would say one word, Google. So that's actually like not gonna lie, like that's how I got civically involved because, you know, similar to what you were saying, kind of, I also had no clue on where to go, what to do, what's out there, where, what should I join? Like, I don't even know what volunteering meant. So I think just the first step is just go on Google and just search up Philadelphia nonprofit. And then the third word, you know, a topic or something that you're just very interested in, right? Like if you're interested in youth, if you're in, interested in the arts or in culture, if you're interested in dance, if you're interested in real estate, if you're interested in civic engagement, like anything, like there are over 4,000 nonprofits in Philadelphia alone. So no matter what you're interested in, there is some nonprofit that is there. And because they're nonprofit, every nonprofit is always, always looking for volunteers. Um, I think that's the first step is just knowing that there is just so many options out there and you just have to kind of go out on your own and really explore. Yeah, I, I would say that is probably the, the crucial step is realizing that you want to and then taking that initial step to find out what's out there. Yeah, so so marrying the the action kind of with the intention. Well, I will. I know what I'm doing after this call in terms of where <laughs> I'm going. Um, I didn't realize. I guess I don't know you make it sound so easy, and I'm just like, oh yeah, I guess I guess I have to want to be the change. You know, I want I want to see. So I guess you know, kind of tying that back into the work that you do. Um, I mean, you do you do a lot of different things. You know, from from freelance to your civic engagement to the work that you do. So for you, how do you like how do you have time to to do all the things that you do? Uh and really how do you balance it all? Well, that's definitely something that I'm still working on and I probably will always forever work on, but I think if there's anything that I could say is just knowing how to prioritize. I think it's really easy to want to do 100 different things, but it's figuring out all right what actually is the most important and which one of those would actually inevitably lead into the others. So, you know, like I said, that is still something that I'm still working on. You know, like I want to do a hundred different things right now. And I'm trying to like pull myself back and say, hey, calm down. Like you only have so much time in the day. You only have so much energy in the day. You only have so much, you know, of yourself to give right into one day, whether it's giving to a project or whether it's giving to your loved ones, whether it's giving to, you know, your own kind of, health right so I think at the end of the day I really try to prioritize health and my immediate circles first in terms of like being able to allocate time and then also you know right I have you know I have some time like I'm in what my late late 20s right now so I have some time just realizing no like you don't have to do everything tomorrow you Hopefully, if you treat yourself well and you're, you know, keep yourself safe, you'll have quite, you know, a few more decades, you know, ahead to be able to do everything. But just figuring out, you know, what are the most crucial to your foundation for you to do everything else that you want to do? That has, you know, really helped me prioritize those types of questions, like on which I should do first. And, you know, it, it, your priorities change year to year and period of your life to another period of your life. So. It's an you know, it's an ever changing balancing act. So yeah, I think of a concept that I, I go back to a lot. I probably even have talked about it before on the podcast is the four burners theory. Uh, and in terms of I don't know if he came up with it, but he definitely 
popularized it in my mind, but James Clear uh, talks about just like you have like these four areas and, you know, you can only keep two, like maybe you get three, but like you're not getting all four. And so you just got to look at like, hey, this is the time of my life where I focus on this, this and that. And then my priorities might shift. And I think about also Sean McCohen with essentialism. And he talks about just like, you can do more and better by by doing less, really. And, and just thinking like, hey, like you don't have to tackle everything, you know, now, right now. If you get the, you know, one, two and three right, then you can go towards four five and six. And even if you get them right, the fir- you know, the first three right, it actually might help you in your your goals to to get five, four five and six right and and get it the way you want it. I think about that a lot as well because uh, I, I I know myself. I'm like always just like oh yeah, like I could do everything. And it's like no, yeah. you can't. <laughs> so so yeah, going off of prioritizing and and all that, especially with 2020, uh, it's been a year of reflecting and on priorities and and you know in the civic space and and, and kind of just public engagement. You know, there's been a lot of things that have happened. That you know we've we've looked at. I'm sure by now, as we get into 2021, I'm sure that they're they're magically you know for those listening, they're probably magically disappeared. But just kidding, uh, they're probably still there. So so how do we, as in your opinion, how do we as individuals continue to advocate for you know maybe those who are who have been historically disenfranchised? I guess where do we prioritize kind of our efforts there? Do you have any advice on that? Um. Yeah. So. I guess the first thing I would say is to really take an inventory and like know what your platform is. So, you know, it's a platform stage, so to say. Um, but I think it's also important to understand you don't have to be a famous celebrity or a YouTube star or someone who is in government or some, like a high official or anything like that to have a platform. You know, you can have a platform among your family members. You can have a platform among your high school friends, you can have a platform in your workspace, you know, and just knowing that every time you speak and every time you talk, your words and your thoughts will kind of reverberate in that community, like wherever that group is. So, you know, every single person has the power and ability to be able to communicate and raise these issues and raise other people's awareness by the words, words and language that they choose to use. Um, around people right so it's you know it's if someone who you know you know how like a lot of the times when someone talks to you and by the language that they use you can kind of get a sense of like how they think or like the perspectives or the way they kind of approach things so I think you know it's a similar thing where your words just have such a profound impact not only on how other people I think view you but also what messages you can communicate to other people right so i think that's really important when it comes to you know really making more of an inclusive and equitable space for you know all types of people and everyone around you right so yeah i would i would say that just know what your platform is and kind of be more aware of the language that you typically use around people um and being able to understand that you have a lot of power with your own words um whether it's on a one on one personal conversation or whether it's to a group, you know, so yeah. That goes back to a lot of what you were saying earlier in, in terms of how you operate in the spaces that, that you do work in. And I think that is important to kind of knowing the power of your voice and, and knowing that even if it is in a one-to-one conversation, even if it is, I don't know, like on the internet, uh, following, you know, you 
you have a voice, like your voice means something and it, it does impact people. And so if there's, there's something that you're passionate about, like, don't be afraid. I, I think that's really important. Kind of switching gears. I think it, it, it's kind of similar in a way, given your work from a similar perspective, right? 2020 has meant a lot of change on an individual level for people, whether it be unemployment, furloughs, you know, whether it be just underemployment or even the possibility of future layoffs. I think people are kind of sitting down and taking perspective on their career and what they want to get out of it. So for you as someone who's done a lot of different things in a short amount of time in their career, do you have any advice that you've learned over you know, this time that maybe you want to pass it on to someone who's listening and saying, you know what, it's time. 2021 is my year to kind of shake things up a little bit. Definitely. I think one of the biggest, most important kind of lessons that I've learned in the past five years or so is, you know, you can create opportunity for yourself. If, you know, if the city or the government or your family or, you know, anything like anything else, you know, if they don't give you the opportunities, you also have an ability to create opportunity yourself. There is just so much, so many resources online right now. And, you know, there are so also so many people who are just so willing to help. You just have to find them. They're there. All your resources, people who really, really care, the knowledge, the experiences, the influence, everything is already there. You just have to go find them. And I think I really learned, I had to be put into certain situations and scenarios for me to realize this. So I, I think I learned, I really took this away from being a real estate agent and being a broker. So I never thought that I would be able to work on commission, but my role was 100% commission. So if I just sat and just waited for an opportunity to kind of land on my doorstep, I wouldn't really be making, you know, I wouldn't be able to put food, you know, on the table and so on. So because of that, it kind of lit a fire on my butt where it's like, no, like you need to go out there and create the opportunity or you just, you know, you're not going to do okay. You're not going to do very well. And I think when you're in a scenario like that, it kind of forces you to realize like, oh, you can create your own opportunity. I think a lot of people, if they are already in a comfortable enough space where they're like, all right, like I can get by, I don't know, I'm making X amount of money or you know, my salary is this, I really like this people, but I don't like that. No, it's like, those are just kind of reasons and excuses for you to kind of stay. Whereas like, if those were taken away from you, you would be forced to find new opportunities. So I think it's important to realize, you know, like, what are you kind of hanging on to that feels comfortable, but it's actually in actuality is actually stopping you from going out, going out to seek new opportunities, you know, whether it's, you know, yeah, whether it's a new job, or whether it's a new relationship, whether it's a new client, you know, probably the biggest advice I have is that you have the ability to create your own opportunities and, you know, just don't get too comfortable. I think that's a great answer. I think about talking through this podcast and talking to people, that's, you see the shift when they have this moment where they realize like, no, like I'm in charge of this, where it kind of, it, it goes so far for them. And really quick, I think about Carol Dweck and growth mindset. And she's a psychologist that talks about, you know, fixed versus growth mindset. And the fact that like, if you have a fixed mindset, you, know, you don't think anything's changeable. You don't think you can progress. 
Whereas the growth mindset is like, you can always grow. And I think whether you, it is that you're in a job that you're enjoying or content, or it's, you know, kind of you're in a situation where it's not ideal, you can grow. You can, you can find the resources out there and, and progress to where you, you eventually want to be. So yeah, thank you for that. So, you know, questions, a couple of questions I like to ask everyone, you know, because this is a podcast after all about living your best life for you. How do you live a best life? Uh, and what does that look like on a daily basis? I'm sure it's probably very different uh, than it has been in years past or even might be, but I would love to hear from you. Well, you know, I always tell myself and try to remind myself that it's really important to stay young at heart because I think that stays with you no matter what age or what your birth certificate says. So I think for me, especially with in the past five, six, seven years or so, just being so busy and like my mind just so preoccupied with everything that sometimes I forget to just sit back and like relax and take a breath and try to do something that I like. So I think some sometimes I, I found that a lot of people tend to figure out, you know, like, I don't really know what I like. I don't know that. I don't know this. So what I usually do, I kind of ask myself, well, you know, like, what did you like doing when you were little? Like, you know, that was when things that you liked when you were little, when there was no kind of like cost benefit analysis or like trade off or anything, you just loved it because you loved it. You know, there was no other reason. It wasn't the prestige. It wasn't the diploma. It wasn't anything. It was just like, you did it because you loved it. And I think for me, I really loved the arts growing up. Like I would draw, I loved playing music. I loved sports. So a lot of those, you know, I, I will try to use that to really balance myself because I know that I really love it already. So when I can balance that, so I, you know, signed up for different sports leagues, I'll maybe take a moment to do some art or just listen and play some music. I also really, really, really love dancing and just literally just going out with my friends and like having a, a good night. Right. So that's something that also really helps. And I think if anything, that's what makes me feel very true to myself and very alive too so I you know I I asked myself that just you know what would five-year-old 12-year-old um 15-year-old Brenda do and I, I think that regrounds me to a part of myself that you know is kind of more in the background oftentimes and it's hard when you're in a space where you know everyone around you is just so ambitious and are clearly very, very good at what they do. And it's hard to not kind of socially compare yourself to them. But, you know, I think if anything, I try to compare myself with, you know, younger me and maybe future me to really ground myself. And I, I think that's how I I try to live my best life is just trying to be as true and honest to 12-year-old Brenda as I can be. That's that's so, so cool that you could kind of sit there and say, like, what? are the things that are true to me and, and help me feel young and, and youthful. Um, I, you know, I, I guess, you know, I just recently watched it, you know, for the first time in a long time again, uh, but the movie Step Brothers. Uh, and, you know, for those, if you haven't seen it, why? Um, but, but, you know, a, a lot of the movie, you know, we talk about how kind of they, you know, Will Ferrell and, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget his name and I will put in the show notes. I'm sorry. Someone will roast me for it later. But anyway, the two of them, they play these, you know, 40 middle-aged men who are going through trying to live, you know, their childhoods and, and live with their their respective parents. And it's just funny because at the end, the, you, you get the message of like, don't lose kind of the stuff that makes you, 
you know, don't lose your dinosaur if anyone remembers the movie. And it's just, and I, I think that's such a pure way to live where you're, you're saying, you know, you're doing the things on the day-to-day basis. Like, Hey, like if I just want to like have a dance party in my room, yeah. fine. You know, like if I want to, I don't know, wake up and draw that day. Awesome. You know, that helps me be happy. That helps me like live my life. That's so cool. So I, I really, I really respect that. Ice cream helps a lot too. I love ice cream and it, it really like grounds me in a many different ways. So I'm also, that also helps me live my best life. <laughs> no, I, I don't think there's, there's ever, well, maybe there's like, there's like maybe a quota of, of ice cream, but usually <laughs> there's never too much ice cream, right? <laughs> so, Agreed. <laughs> you know, and going to, to one of my other questions, I guess, on the maybe not the flip side, but when we talk about living your best life, I think also eternally some people might say, you know, good life. Like, oh, I want to live the good life. So, to you, do you think there is such a thing as a good life? You know, and if so, or if not, why or you know, why not? I would say yes. There are definitely there is definitely like kind of like a good life. Though I would kind of add a little side note that you know there are so many people that may never be able to have access to a good life just because of their circumstances. There are people out there who may not be able to have that opportunity or chance for a good life. And that's just kind of a side note, but kind of bringing it back. Yeah, I I do think there is kind of the good life, but I think before you can reach the good life, there's the hard life, there's the struggle life, there's the grit life, there is the suffering life. There's so many other kind of obstacles obstacles to get through and hard work that has to be put in to reach the good life so you know if the good life were a destination that we wanted to go to and this maybe secret like oasis that you know we whatever it is to us want to get to it's going to be a hard path to get there right like you have to put in hard work you have to put in hours and a lot of grit and sweat to get to there and it's also no being able to understand well what is the good life to us obviously everyone has their own definition of what a good life means so I think it's important to realize like what is your own personal definition of a good life and how do you get there like self a trail map you know so like I I I always really use this analogy where it's like you're going on a hike or something right and you have a trail map and you want to get to this certain peak but in order to get to the top of the mountain where all the beautiful view is it's going to be a hard route to get up there right? Are you going to take the route that, take this like Robert Frost, but like the path that's least traveled by or the path that's always traveled by um, by other people? And it really depends on what type of journey you want. You know, it's easier to get to like different heights, but at the end of the day, I think there's a lot of different trails you can take and a lot of different kind of good lives or different oases that you want to get to. And it's just knowing what your map looks like. That's it. I, I love that analogy, you know, because I don't know, I'm, I, I don't hike as much as I should. But at the same time, I do understand like, hey, like, it really just depends on what you want, you know, like, but you got to know that there's, there's some stuff you got to get through to get there. I, I really love that analogy, even though I don't go hiking as much as I should, or if ever, <laughs> really, um, in terms of like a legitimate hike. Uh, that needs a trail map and all that. I, you know, I think it's interesting because it's just like, yeah, sure. You can pick where you want to go. You can find the place that has the best view of 
you know, the city or the wilderness or, or the stars, but like, just know that based on where you pick, that's going to change how you get there. And so you're going to have to plan it out. Yeah, I, I, I do. I really do like that analogy. I do recommend going on hikes. It really does kind of simplify your mind because I feel like nowadays we're in this world where there's just like a million different things that are flying across our screens. So just being able to get out, get out in nature and just go for a walk or a hike or a bike ride or something like that really kind of simplifies your mind. You can, and usually it helps me think a little bit more, I think, clearly. I will I will take your advice. I, I, you know, I'm a... Uh, I don't know if I have to get like hiking boots or stuff like that, but I'll find, I'll find a trail map that suits me and, and attack it, you know? So uh, uh, one of the, you know, one of the last questions I, I like to ask is, you know, just, you know, I like, I like thinking about people's, this sounds weird, but I like thinking about people's fears and motivations. Uh, so one, you know, what keeps you up at night? And then two follow-up question, you know, what motivates you? Um, I would say, I think one of my biggest fears is not, you know, really being present with the people around me, um, the ones who are on my side and who are there to support me. Um, and yeah, you know, sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own, you know, lives and doing different things that we often forget to just follow up or just drop a line and sort of say hi to an old dear friend, right? And I think if anything, I think that's probably my biggest fear, especially relating, you know, whether it's my mom, my significant other, my like close friends and such, just just making sure I kind of keep that relationship. And, you know, it, it is a two way street, I think, at the end of the day. But, you know, me realizing, hey, I haven't heard from this person in a while. I haven't touched base. I wonder how they're doing. I think those are what matter. And I think that's why. I'm fearful because they, I realize that that is something that is really important to me. I'm sure sometimes I'll forget because, you know, my mind's elsewhere, but I think, I think that's probably what I fear the most. And in terms of what motivates me, oh, you know, to be honest, like I am not even 100% sure, but I know I'm motivated by seeing other people around me happy because you know if other people around me happy then I'm happy well obviously there is a balance to that too like knowing when to but for the most part if I'm surrounded by really great happy loving people then I'm gonna feel that way too you know just to hop in uh there for a second I I feel very similar in in that fact of of not only just not necessarily privilege right but I, I guess yeah in some sense privilege to have the access to opportunities but also going to something you said about seeing other people happy. I think that's such a, there's such a balance there in terms of, of the fact that I'm, I'm that way as well. So like, I know for me, it can sometimes border on a, on a not necessarily healthy place where like I'm extending myself too much where I get burnt and, and I get taken advantage of. And so it's, it's, I've been thinking more and more about how do I get to a place where I'm happy and with just myself? You know, not necessarily seeing other people happy. Like, yeah, I'm, I, I will, I know me personally, I will be happy if I see other people happy, but understanding like they could be happy or sad and that has nothing to do with me. That's something I've, I've been dealing with. But I know you probably had a thought, you know, you're, I, I caught in while you were talking about your own motivations, but I, I will allow you to finish that thought if you, you still had it. It's also interesting because like, so had like the question for some reason also has me stumped 
like in certain ways, which is a good thing because it, it it's just kind of pointing to something that I haven't like fully, fully fleshed out in my mind just yet. So what motivates me? So I think for me, because I've been given so many opportunities in my own life that I felt like I haven't even really had to do much for. Um, and I know I'm in such a privileged position to be to be able to even say that. Um, I think because of how many other people have helped me and have given me a lot of opportunities, I think for me, I really feel motivated to pass that on. You know, I realize a lot of people helped me get to where I am today, and I want to be able to be someone who helps someone else, you know, get to be where they want to be. I think that's a really motivating factor is just that sense of mentorship and community building, um, especially with people like, especially if you've already kind of lived or have been in a space where another person, instead of trying to figure it out, you can kind of just talk to them. And it's great because no matter what age you are, I feel like you can always, always, always be motivated to, you know, help someone else out. Um, whether you're 10 years old, giving a five-year-old, you know, some tricks of the trade, or whether you're, you know, just graduated college, giving a freshman advice, whether you're, you know, you were 29, right, and giving advice to maybe even like a 30-year-old, I don't know, it goes either way. Um, I, I think it's just important to realize, like, no matter how old you are, there is just always an opportunity for you to be able to reach out and extend a helping hand. I think that motivates me a lot because it, it just keeps our kind of circle of life, so to say, um, going. Wow. I'm I'm like thinking back to like five, six years old. I'm like, yeah, no, no, the 10 year olds helped me out. And then I'm like, oh yeah, wait, that's like the whole reason we did like first grade buddies and with the fourth <laughs> graders. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah. But I, 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 I agree with you. I think we're never too old or young to to really help people. And in some ways, I think that's a part of what makes us human, right? Like the ability to pass on knowledge is very uh, uniquely human. And in, in the fact that like something like this, you know, not, uh, not saying that, uh, you know, for some reason, if someone's listening out there and it's like 700 years in the future, awesome. Thank you. But at the same time, like this is something, a conversation that, you know, hopefully it will last through time, just, you know, school and all the conversations there. And it's like, it just even something small, like a one-to-one conversation could, can go on and, and help someone. And maybe they pick out one insight from that, but that's still helping them. And, and, and so, um, you know, I, I, you know, to tie back to, to what you're talking about, I think that is a really cool motivator. And, you know, I really appreciate that answer. You know, for, for my last question, because I don't have any more questions left, is there anything that we didn't touch upon uh, that, you know, you're kind of like, hey, like, this is something I want to share with the audience? I, I think the only thing I really have to say is just, you know, thank you for doing what you're doing. And, you know, it, it also made me realize, like, sometimes you just kind of need someone to step in and just kind of almost like check you a little bit and like ask you questions. Because I think a lot of the questions you asked me, like, for where I am, like, I haven't thought about them really in depth, which, you know, I always, always appreciate when I'm asked questions where I'm like, oh, you know what, I haven't thought about that. Um, and I think just, just talking with you, it's really made me kind of like be more in touch with myself as well, but especially in a time when, you know, everything is just so much going on. So I, I guess I just wanted to say thank you um, for reaching out and just doing what you're doing, because it really has been, you know, centering and it was just so great to also catch up with you. Well, thank you for also hopping on the mic, uh, so to speak, and, and doing this. I think um, 
Uh, I hope that these conversations are helping even more people. You know, really, when I, I look back to kind of the first run of this, um, it was really just like, can I do it? Will people actually sit down with me in an interview? And now that I'm like, oh, people, people are okay with that. Now I'm just like, awesome. Well, like, hopefully it now can help people. Uh, and I think, you know, kind of the things we talked about and kind of your story, uh, I think is, is really helpful. I think there's some things that you said that, you know, I knew I'm going to take away uh, a perspective. Uh, I hope that people out there that are listening are going to take one as well. Uh, so thank you, Brenda. I really appreciate it. Uh, I hope that in terms of your trail map for, for 21, it's, it's, you know, winding, but also not as scary as, as 2020. Um, Cause boy, this year has been an interesting one, or at least this past year, but thank you until next time. Uh, stay safe out there. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And that's the show. Thank you for listening. Be sure to leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Stay tuned for our next episode featuring Robert Shui, my dear friend and a senior associate at PwC. As always, be sure to live, laugh, and learn. <laughs>